Hey mama, stop what you're doing right now and join my birth classes. It is open enrollment and it's a special one because we have added some extra new bonuses just for you. And hint, hint, don't forget that insurance may reimburse you and you can also use your HSA or your FSA to pay for birth classes. So it's a no brainer. If you join this week, you're gonna get not only a huge discount by using the code BIRTHQUEEN, all in caps, cause you know you are, but you're also going to get six or seven bonuses. Bonus number one, you're gonna get 30 days free in my mama membership, which is where all the magic is happening. After 30 days, you can leave us if you want, boo hoo. Or you can stay with us for 19 a month. And some of my mamas stay with me for years, if that tells you anything. You're also gonna get bonus number two, which is my newborn academy. Bonus three, the birth coach class. Bonus four, the postpartum recovery roadmap class, along with some other bonuses. And if you join by Friday night at midnight, you're gonna get my birthing waves, which is a brand new course and it's guided meditations for labor and beyond. Brand spanky new and I'm so excited to welcome you in. Don't forget, we hang out with all of our students every Wednesday. We have a pregnancy hangout via Zoom where you get to see my face and my doulas every single Wednesday. I'll see you on the inside. Go to labornursemama.com forward slash the word calm, C-A-L-M, labornursemama.com forward slash calm. I'll see you on the inside. I always like to start out my safety chats just by helping people get into the safety mindset because it's really difficult. I think especially anyone that has even a small amount of postpartum anxiety, the catastrophic thinking starts happening and it's really difficult to make those decisions when you aren't in a clear safety mindset. Hey, my name is Trish Ware, and I am obsessed with all things pregnancy and birth and helping you to navigate both the practical and the magical seasons of this journey called motherhood. I'm an all-day coffee-sipping mama of seven and labor and delivery nurse who took her expertise in the labor room and turned it into an online one-stop shop for mamas looking for powerful education and support. I've had the amazing privilege of delivering many babies in my 15 plus year career as a labor and delivery nurse and as a mama of seven. I'm here to help you take the guesswork out of childbirth so you can make the choices that are right for you and your baby and write the birth story of your dreams. So hit subscribe and let's replace your anxiety and fear with complete confidence. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not replace your medical advice. Check out our full disclaimer at the bottom of the show notes. Holly, I am so excited to have you today. I am passionate about baby safety, and I think this is such an important podcast for my parents-to-be, my mamas, to really focus on while they're pregnant. So I'm super excited that you're here today. Welcome. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It is. It's such a a topic that I feel like people know, like baby proofing and let's buy this product that's been cleared, that's safe. But I think there's a lot more that goes into it. And I really want to touch into some different topics today just to get my mamas thinking about how can I prepare for safety now while I'm pregnant. But before we get started, I want to ask you, obviously this is the birth experience with Labor Nurse Mama, so I want to ask you about your birth experiences and how that has played a role in your choice of career. Yeah, so I've got two daughters. One is currently seven and one is four and a half. So we've been through, I think, the hardest of the baby and toddler safety years, which is good for, I can share a lot of personal experiences here. But my births were thankfully uncomplicated, although my first was a fairly long labor, I will say. But I feel very fortunate to have had a really strong healthcare team with me and I felt very supported. And I think that I'm sure this is a message you regularly share, but having a good team and making sure that you feel supported is so important for those births. My second daughter was a very quick birth. So having that strong support system there and actually there for me in those moments, luckily everything was in place before she came out. But it's been a huge impact because I used to work in medical software and it was a very demanding career that needed me to travel a lot. And having my kids really shifted my priorities. I also renewed my relationship with my sister through my first birth with my older daughter because my sister had been a birth doula for a long time. And just being able to see how wonderful she is through that lens of being a supportive person there for me in that moment actually completely changed our relationship. And my sister and I co-own our business together, and it's something that never would have happened had that birth not happened. Birth really did change my whole life in that way. So I'm very grateful for that whole experience. I see such a common thread in most of the guests that I have on the birth experience, Because a lot of us, including myself, our birth played a role in our passion for what we do. And I think that's so important. So just tell my guests a little bit about what you do and who you are. Yeah. So my name is Holly Choi. I'm the co-owner of Safe Beginnings First Aid alongside my sister, Jill. And we are a baby and toddler safety business. We started teaching just CPR workshops for parents, and it's expanded into just everything baby and toddler safety. So I'm a nationally certified first aid instructor. I'm a nationally certified child passion passenger safety technician instructor, which is a very long-winded way of saying I'm a car seat technician, but I also train and certify new car seat technicians. I have additional expertise in childproofing and general injury prevention for children. So I've been using my Instagram account, Safe Beginnings, just to give parents really easy tips to keep their babies and toddlers safe. And that's really everything I'm about. I am so passionate about what I do. Sometimes I come off a little bit intense, so I pre-apologize, but I love what I do. I'm very passionate about it, and I want to make sure that parents feel supported in their thought-making process around safety so they can make confident decisions. I love that. And I know that any of my students who are listening right now are probably like, oh, 
Trish does the same thing. I get off on some tangents because there's certain things that I'm just really passionate about. And you and I were talking about some of those things prior to starting to record. But I broke down some of the things that I wanted to talk about today. And since you're the expert, if you have anything to add, feel free. But I was thinking that we could talk about how some of these parents can start preparing now during their prenatal experience so that it's not as overwhelming. I think that one of the big things I see with my students, especially in some of the mamas that I talk to on Instagram, because we get hundreds and hundreds of DMs a day, is that it's really hard for them to trust their instincts. But I think education, along with learning to listen to yourself, is just really important. So what I was thinking is we could start talking about, and in no important order, but maybe start talking about nursery safety, because I feel like that's the first thing that mamas start doing is prepping that nursery. And I know safety evolves as your child gets older. So maybe we could just talk about some really key nursery safety items for newborn and maybe prepping into that crawling and starting to move around the nursery stage. Absolutely. And I always like to start out my safety chats just by helping people get into the safety mindset because it's really difficult. I think especially anyone that has even a small amount of postpartum anxiety the catastrophic thinking starts happening and it's really difficult to make those decisions when you aren't in a clear safety mindset. When we're looking at the nursery, I always like to think, what is a risk? What's a hazard? Because if we can tell the difference between these two things, it's going to make our decision making super simple. Risk would be something like, and to use a really basic example, if I cross the street, there is a risk I might get hit by a car, but I'm going to cross the street and get across to the other side. So there is a benefit to that risk-taking activity versus a hazard would be something like letting a child play with glass. There's no benefit to that at any point. You're not going to get anything out of it. We're just not going to do it. So when we're making safety decisions, sometimes we can get really overwhelmed and worked up with that catastrophic thinking. Always try to take it down to, is there actually going to be a benefit, whether it be emotional or developmental for the child for me to do this thing? Or is it just straight up a hazard and I need to avoid it? So a lot of the stuff with nursery safety is hazard related because newborns especially, they won't do a lot. They will surprise you with what they can do, but they won't do a lot. So we're mostly worried about hazards at that age. One of the leading ways that babies are hospitalized for an injury every single year is just rolling off of elevated surfaces. And I'm sure you've seen this as an RN. When you have babies that look so still and calm and you think, really, they can't do much, it is actually very shocking for a lot of parents to find out that newborn babies are capable of rolling. And it's not that they roll with intention. It's just that they carry so much weight in their head that a movement of their head, their body can just go over with it. So the first thing that I always think of with a safe nursery is when you're using an elevated change pad, just please make sure, one, that you use the strap, but two, that you always have a hand on the baby anytime they're elevated because it is shocking. They really look like they're not going to roll. 
and they absolutely can. So one of my pillars of injury prevention, I like to say, is try to avoid making assumptions about what your child can and can't do, because that is the day that they'll do it. And it really, things developmentally happen so that's a, that's a good point for the rest of your life, even when they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, valid. Yes. Don't ever get rid of that thought. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to the crib, just there's a few things with the crib to be super mindful of. Now, I live in the Pacific Northwest. We're on the West Coast. We are unfortunately in an earthquake zone. And when my older daughter was four months old, we had an earthquake that was not serious per se, but aggressive enough that it woke us from our sleep and it shook long enough that we were quite frankly terrified. My daughter was in a crib that we had disassembled and built back up in our bedroom at the time. And I froze in that moment and realized, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do with a baby in an earthquake because we're all trained to crawl under a table and deal with ourselves. And had she been in her nursery I had hung all of this art on her wall and it had all fallen down and it would have fallen into her crib. And I had this realization of, oh, wow, I didn't consider how some simple things like how I decorate my nursery could really impact my baby's safety. So especially if you are on the West Coast, I really encourage people that are especially in an earthquake zone please try to avoid hanging heavy stuff over the crib. It's a really common design trend, especially like we see this on Instagram, on Pinterest, but things like heavy mirrors, heavy art. Uh, I've seen antlers. It's one of those things oh, where- wow. We, and you could like, you could picture it, right? Yeah, now I can. And I wouldn't have had you not told me yeah. that. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's hard to look at the room from a perspective of safety. But when you step back and think about, okay, where could that fall? That's super important. So avoid heavy things over the crib wherever possible. Even things that are anchored can sometimes fall down if it's just a drywall anchor. So it's best to just... And I've seen shelving over a crib with different cute little things and loved it. I never, I'm in Tennessee, so we've got tornadoes, but I never would have thought of that. Wow. You learn something new every day, people. So the other one that's really big for me is cords, obviously. So cords near the crib, the recommendation is to keep them three feet from the crib. And coming back to that idea of anyone that experiences any level of postpartum anxiety, one of the really common risks that I see parents taking is around cords and putting cords very close to the crib so that they can have a good view with their baby monitor. And this is something that we really want to avoid because cords carry two risks depending on what the cords attached to. It could be an electrical risk, but also a strangulation risk. And that's the main one we're worried about. We don't want children to be able to put their arm out the crib and then pull something into the crib. So any cords, strings, blind cords, anything like that, try to keep three feet from the crib. So for me, back in 2015, when I was setting up my monitor for my daughter, it was a matter of putting the monitor across the room up on an elevated shelf and tilting it down toward the crib. But there's also baby monitors on the market that have the cord contained within a channel so that there's nothing that the baby can actually grab. So if you haven't gone down the path of purchasing a baby monitor yet and you think that's something that's going to be super important to you to have that bird's eye view, consider that as part of the decision-making process when you're purchasing because 
it's something we have to be really careful and mindful with not to have those cords around the crib. And I think I never even thought about the cords for the monitors. Unfortunately, I had when my children were young, I had a friend of a friend whose two-year-old died due to cords on the blinds, which this was years ago. And most of them now do not have the cords or they have them so that they aren't a hazard. However, we are renting a house and they have all old blinds. So if you are renting, you really need to be cautious of this and it is worth switching those blinds out. Yeah, absolutely. You can also get these things called cord cleats, which are effectively little pieces of plastic that you can either stick with some 3M sticky stuff onto the frame of the window, or you could screw it into the window frame. And it's just to wrap that excess cord up and around to keep it out of reach. Um, I've also met a family that experienced that, and it is one of the more common nursery-related injuries, unfortunately. But the Consumer Product Safety Commission goes as far to say that the best blinds are cordless blinds. And of course, it's not always feasible to change them, but we can manage the risk by adding something like a cord cleat or tying them up and putting them up, tape the cord up on the wall if you need to, but keeping that away. Yeah, I think that what I'm thinking though is sleep deprived, exhausted parents, you may not always remember to do that. So I think especially the blinds that are in your child's room or maybe near your sofa or somewhere that your child will be, I think figuring out a way to get the cordless blinds is the best way to go because being a new mom or a new parent is the most sleep deprived you will ever be. And you, it only takes one time to forget to strap that cord up or to put that up there. So that's one that definitely, because it's touched me in a, in a profound way. What about, so this was popping in my mind and I know it's not a huge thing for younger generation of parents, but I feel like grandparents might pop in with a bottle of powder. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like, I think that's something I hear all the time bedside with the, if the mom-in-law or the grandma is there and they're wanting to put powder on the baby, do you address this at all with new parents? It's one of those things where you, it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you're dealing with the generation that parented you. And I think you have such a great unique perspective on this because you have grandchildren, but it's one of those things where I think it's really difficult for a lot of grandparents to take advice from someone they parented because it will often come off as a way of them analyzing the way they parented and maybe it feels like they're implying that they did it wrong, where we know that things change because we have more information and that's the reality, but it often feels the opposite way. And especially if it doesn't come off in a super tactful way, or it's done in a bit of an emotional exchange or very reactive. And this is where I always encourage parents. It's really important to have firm boundaries, but it's also important that if you're having these conversations and you don't think it's going to be received well, you have to make sure that you're having the conversation in the most tactful way possible. And I always like to use the policy of blame the experts. 
So if you have something like this situation with powder where you're like, I really don't want to be using that on my child, that's a situation where can you just find like a supporting article? And I always like to take the policy of, wow, I just read this wild thing. Did you know that? And just take it as like a, I just learned this mind blowing thing. Check this out. And that way it's less of a, I saw you do this thing the other day and we're not doing that and you're wrong and it comes off wrong. If you can blame the expert or share an article in a mind-blowing way, it's so helpful. And when it comes to other things like car seat safety, for example, can you just take them somewhere where an, someone else can deliver the information to them? It's good to always include the people, especially if they're caregivers in your life, in those conversations, but try to blame the experts whenever you can. It's so helpful. Yeah, I think that is really valuable. I do this even in the labor room. I always say, hey, I can be the bad guy. So just pin it on me. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'm totally happy. Now, so that kind of, obviously there's so much more we could talk about and you guys can find Holly on, it's Safe Beginnings. Correct. On Instagram. But let's talk about the car because I feel like we could spend so much time. And as a mom of seven, and I have spent the majority of my adult life because I had my oldest when I was young and my youngest when I was old, I have pretty much had a car seat my entire life. And I have seen the gamut of car seats. But I feel like I still argue or not argue. I still battle certain battles that have always just as being a labor and delivery nurse back in the day, we used to put the babies in and teach them. We don't do that anymore. Thank God. That's not our scope. But one of, there was a couple of things that I really saw as the biggest battles personally and at work was how tight the straps are, where the clip is. And like we were talking about rear facing, which we are going to do a whole podcast, hopefully, if Holly will come back and talk about rear facing car seats, because I think this is something that is a huge battle for a lot of parents feeling like they're doing something wrong or they're doing a disservice to their baby. We're going to talk about that later. So let's talk about some tangible tips for car seat safety. First and foremost, it is so important to always just get a second set of eyes on your baby's car seat. And what you're looking for is a certified child passenger safety technician. So in the U.S., you can find that through safekids.org and you can locate a technician in your community. Most of those services are free of charge. And then you're able to have someone that is trained look and verify you've done everything correctly. But of course, when you're a new parent and you're super busy and you've got a lot going on, or maybe you just don't want to leave the house, fair enough, that can be challenging to get to someone and have it all line up and nap time and blowouts and all that stuff happens. So There are a few things that are just really important to be sure of when you're putting especially a newborn in a car seat, and I see so many mistakes, and I just want to drill home that if anyone is listening with a newborn, I took my training when my first daughter was eight weeks old, and I was so confident that I was using my car seat correctly. And I did not get a single thing. Just, I did not get a single thing. I left the first night of my training and sobbed in my car with this very overwhelming feeling of, wow, I'm not qualified to have this kid. I can't keep her safe. 
And uh, that's one of the reasons that I've stuck on this path is I don't want people to feel that way, but I want you to know that it is normal to make mistakes, but we have the resources to fix them. And that's the most important thing. So when it comes to newborn, of course, we want the seat to be installed tightly and correctly. Of course, we want to make sure the child's harnessed correctly. But the main problem with seat installs for newborns I see is the angle is wrong. And the angle typically has to be as reclined as that seat will let you recline it. So we're obviously not pointing them completely toward the floor, but it's important that we have those seats reclined correctly because we're using gravity to help support our child's open airway. And when children don't have tone in their neck, really gravity is all that's going to help us do that. So in order for them to not have their chin drop to their chest, we have to make sure we're just nailing that angle. And there will be guides in your user manual, but also typically something on the car seat so that, that you've got that absolutely correct. But that is the most crucial thing for their breathing is please just make sure you've got that angle absolutely correct. And of course, when in doubt, get it checked. But when it comes to the harnessing, harnessing is probably the area I see the most mistakes. And with newborns especially, they stay froggy for a bit. So they keep their legs curled in like they're a little in little fetal position. And I'll often see parents just out of nervousness because the first few days you've got a baby, you're convinced you're not qualified and you're convinced you're going to break them. Nervous to even leave the hospital with the baby in the car seat because they don't want to extend the baby's leg to get the harness seated correctly in their hip crease. And so I often see parents put the harness around the baby's knee and that is not going to keep your baby safe. So just a heads up that it is okay to bring your baby's leg forward just to get that harness in there. They'll curl right back up around it and that's fine. But we have to make sure the harness is really tight to the hip crease. So making sure you've got no slack in the hips, that their harness is tight enough that you wouldn't be able to pinch a horizontal fold near the collarbone. So if you can pull up the harness and you're still able to pinch a fold in it, then it's too loose. You do need to keep going. But you just want to go until you pass that pinch test. So if you can't pinch anymore, you're good, but you don't need to go past that either. And then the main thing, like you've mentioned, the chest clip is that piece that clips together above the crotch buckle and it should be in line with the armpits. And there's so many, for lack of a better term here, memes on the internet of a skeleton wearing a harness and the chest clip, they've got one that's at armpit level and one that's at the abdomen. And the meme implies that the point of the chest clip is to avoid it from causing internal injuries by having it too low. But that's not the point of the chest clip. If we were worried about internal injuries, we just wouldn't have it there. The chest clip is designed to prevent the shoulder straps from being able to come off the shoulder. So in that split second of a crash, when those crash forces are applied, that the harness is on the strongest part of the child's body and the child is unable to be ejected from the seat. So it's so important you get that placement correct. Just imagine taking the middle of the chest clip, drawing a line from armpit to armpit. And I will say on a newborn baby with the tiniest little torso, it often feels like it's right on their neck. But if it's too low, it's not going to do its job. And remember that the angle of the car seat is going to keep your child back 
from the chest clip. So it's not like they're hanging on it, but it also, when the harness is tight, it keeps them from coming forward. So having the correct angle, having a tight harness and having the chest clip in the right spot is really the trifecta of making sure that your newborn is being transported safely. And it, it feels so weird and it's difficult and they are curled up in this weird position and sometimes they'll slump to one side and it's difficult to get them seated in there properly. But it's always worth the extra minute to just make sure you get that right because we don't get to choose our crashes. And even if they're screaming, even if they're upset, it's okay. You much rather have a screaming baby who doesn't like what you're doing than an injured baby. And I think that one of the things I saw a lot is that when when we were doing the installation, like I said, back in the day, I've been a labor and delivery nurse for a very long time. We don't do that anymore. But back in the day, one of the things that I saw is that the parents were so astounded about how tight it should be and felt like they were hurting their babies. Yeah. And especially... They will cry and it's normal, but it really, you want that harness to feel like it's really hugging them. And that slack at the hips is probably the most common mistake that I see on a daily basis with a newborn to the point I made an Instagram reel on it that I pinned to my profile permanently just so that parents could have a really clear visual of how to make sure that is nice and tight on the baby. And the slack in the hips really is the main thing that I find most parents miss. But if we leave slack in the hips, it'll move when you're driving and then the whole thing is loose. So it's so important. Hey mama, did you know that we are offering an incredible deal on our five powerful birth workshops from our last fearless birth experience? If you check out the link in the show notes, you can grab all five workshops to watch whenever you want and share them with your birth coach or your partner. You also get an interactive workbook and worksheets for each class. Class one is all about labor pain. Class two is all about unmedicated birth. Class three, how to share your birth plans. Class four, confidently coping during labor. And class five, how to push like a boss. Now, you can grab all five workshops for lifetime access for $24. The link is in the show notes. That's one thing. My grandson is four, and he pitches a royal fight and tells me he can't breathe, he can't move, and I'm like, you're talking, you're breathing, you're fine. And I'm like, Gigi's going to keep you safe. Sorry, you could be mad at me, but that's okay. You're staying safe. But we fight about it all the time still to this day with this four-year-old. Anyway, so any other car seat, I love that you're saying like, you guys, there now it is a mouthful to say the what they need to look for. So it's, what is the abbreviation? It's CP... Oh, CPST. So when you guys are looking for this, it is a mouthful, but I think it's really important. So where do they go to find out how to find someone in their area? Yeah. So in the US, safekids.org, that's the best place to locate a technician. The NHTSA website also has a lookup tool, which is nhtsa.gov, N-H-T-S-A.gov, National Highway Transport Safety Typically, it's free of charge. If it does cost money, then you're paying for a specialty private consult of some sort. But 
you can find someone. And if anyone happens to be tuning in from Canada, you can find a technician in Canada via sipsac.org, which is cpsac.org. But it's so easy to get in touch with them. Everyone that does it is passionate about it and does it because they want to help you. That's really the most important thing. So just know that we're all coming from the same place. And I don't want anyone to feel like they're going to go be judged or picked apart by someone Our goal at the end of the day is to make sure that children are riding safely. And we know that if someone has booked the appointment to see us, that they care. And so we're never going to be judgmental or anything about that because we know at the end of the day, you're there because you want to make sure your child's safe. So please get your car seat checked. And I would also go to say that whoever is buckling your child, whoever's going to have their ch- your child in their car should come with you so that it's not another battle. Because I think sometimes, like I, I told you before, for myself, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I've installed car seats back in the day, but I still have battled, especially when I had Grayson, because I have a lot of adult children. Most of my children are even more protective of him than I was was. But for some of them, they'd be like, mom, it is too tight. Like, mom, does it really have to be that tight? And I think it's really important that whoever is going to be in charge of buckling your child or putting your a car seat into their car, they also need to be trained so that it's not you fighting that battle. Yeah. And of course, when you're dealing with different generations, where sometimes you've got decades in between from maybe not even using a car seat to now using this super complicated modern day car seat. It's easy to fall into that survivorship bias of we didn't need this for you. I don't understand why this is overkill. But we know, of course, we learn better, we do better. That's why we have changes to safety standards over the years. It's why we don't put asbestos in things anymore or have lead paint, okay? But it's not a reflection of their parenting. It's good, though, take them with you, because if someone else can deliver that information, boy, it'll do a world of good for both of you, and they can be the bad person, like we said. It's just the best thing, and then you don't have to feel like you're the person that's being extra, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I have to, just a funny story. So just like my Grayson is like the youngest late in life, I was the youngest of seven late in life. And most of, I already had nieces and nephews when I was born. My sister used to breastfeed while she was driving. I know. Can you believe it? Like, People used to be able to hold their babies while driving. (laughs) I know. It's crazy to think how far we've come. And I think the thing that's important to really note is that the ability to know what was happening all over the world was not as possible back then. So... I can guarantee that there were babies dying in cars and there were children being ejected. Now, same thing. My older sister got thrown through a front window and her mom passed away in a car accident. So flipping that around, we had our own family tragedy. But 
back in the day, people used to hold their babies and their children on their laps. I used to stand behind my dad's shoulder while he was driving his truck. I know. We've come a long way, people. Let's not go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Let's protect our children. Yeah, amen. <laughs> anyway, that is car safety. So obviously we could go on and on. And we are planning on doing an episode all about rear facing because this is something I feel is a huge battle for a lot of parents. But let's go on to maybe I was thinking bathing and clothing and sleep safety. So I'm just gonna let you take the reins and go where you will. Totally. So there's a few things with bathing that we want to be super concerned about. One is that obviously any water can be a drowning risk and we can speak to that, but also the temperature of the water. And I had a really cool opportunity to be trained as an educator for my local firefighters burn fund. And specifically, they have an infant and toddler burn prevention program that's run by a local longtime RN who works in children's pediatric burns. It's a very difficult job. And what she really drilled into us was if you're testing bath temperature, of course you can use a bath thermometer, but another tool that you should always double check with is your elbow. The skin on your elbow is the same sensitivity as a baby's external skin sensitivity. So if you dip your elbow into bath water and it feels hot, so you get that kind of stinging sensation, it's way too hot for the baby. But you'd be surprised how sensitive your elbow really is. The catch is much like you would want to stir anything that you've microwaved to make sure that there's no hot pockets and things. You also want to make sure that you're really stirring that bath water so that it's one consistent temperature. But I always recommend, even if you're using a bath thermometer, even if it says you're good to go, Double check with your elbow because if it's cute, like it looks like a duck, they start to play with it or you drop it. You just can't rely on everything to stay calibrated for you. And it's always good to just get that one good physical check in before you put baby into the water. That's interesting that you said the elbow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the one that we'll often hear is inside the arm or inside the wrist, but the skin inside the wrist mimics a baby's internal skin sensitivity. So that's where you would be testing anything that would go into the mouth. But for the elbow, that's going to mimic their external skin sensitivity. So it's really interesting, but it's great that we have those tools available to us. And I've forgotten my bath thermometer on vacation a few times, so it's good to have that with you. What about with a bath thermometer, what temperature are they looking for? Ooh, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I know I've got <laughs> it in a, I know I've got it in a post on my Instagram, but we'll add it to the show. Notes. Yeah. That? And the good news is that okay. it should say on the package if it's meant for a baby bath. So that's also, but you'll always have your elbow with you. Correct. Yeah. And that's really at the end of the day, what it boils down to. I had a special thermometer that would always just light up green when it was the correct temperature. Oh, nice. never stuck in my brain. That's always easy. So any more bath safety tips that you recommend? The main one really at the end of the day for preventing drowning or any incident in the water is make sure that there's always someone within arm's reach and that needs to be a caregiver. Oftentimes we'll run down the slippery slope of they've got a four-year-old sibling and I can just run and grab something from the kitchen or answer the door. They can't be proper substitutes for adult supervision. So they need to have that proper 
caregiver there within arm's reach. And that's really what's going to be best. So avoid those distractions. Make sure you've got everything with you before you start bath time. Soap, towel, anything that you think you're going to need, bring it in there with you before they even go into the water. And that way you can just stay focused. It's so easy to just have those moments of wanting to answer the door or wanting to grab something somewhere else in the house avoid it. It's that one time where drowning, unfortunately, it's a silent injury because we won't hear it happen. And with other injuries, you do at least typically get that warning. That's why it's so crucial. Always be prepared. Yeah. And I think another really important thing is to know that it doesn't take much water. Yeah. Less than an inch. Yeah. And I think that's another mistake where parents think, oh, there's not enough water in there. It's fine. But I do think it's important to note you can't trust a four-year-old. Yeah. I've had lots of children and they might think it's funny to pull baby right off of that bathtub into the bathwater. So you really can't trust a two, three, four-year-old to, and it's not that they're trying to harm the baby. They just want to touch the baby and move the baby. So they don't need that guilt. Yeah. No, not at all. So what about, I, I know we kind of want to wrap up here soon because we've covered a lot. I know this is a lot for you guys. And again, you guys can find Holly on Safe Beginnings. And I think, again, sleep has been a huge thing lately with all the new guidelines that have been presented. And of course, every time I post anything about car seats or sleep, I get so (laughs) much written to me. So I would just love for you to touch on the new guidelines quickly and briefly. And if we have to have you come back, we can have you come back and talk more about that. But what would you feel is important to point out for sleep? So there's been a few changes this year, quite a few changes, honestly. And one of the biggest ones recently was around weighted sleep sacks. And we love sleep sacks for sleep because it's something that baby isn't able to pull up by their face. It greatly reduces their chance of suffocation because there's not a loose blanket or any other loose bedding in the crib with them. But the weighted sleep sacks, there just currently is not enough evidence to show that they are truly safe. There was also a lot of interesting information about SIDS recently that came out from a study in Australia, really emphasizing what we already suspected of kids that can fall into too deep of a sleep, sometimes have a hard time waking back up or stirring. We do know that babies don't breathe the same way that we do. They breathe differently. It's normal for a baby's breathing to pause multiple times per night, but they stir and it kicks back in and that's a normal baby thing. But if children are overheating or falling in too deep of a sleep related to things like overheating, that's where we start to see some of these potential red flags for SIDS occurring. And when it comes to weighted sleep sacks, the concern currently is that it could cause them to fall in too deep a sleep or depending on the sleep sack potentially have too much weight on the chest restricting free movement of breathing and while there's lots of ones that are commercially available that have claims that they're safe to use and they might be we don't really know for sure is part of the problem the other side of it is that from working in the child safety industry i know that parents diy stuff all the time and when baby products are expensive Often parents are tempted to make their own, make a rice sack and stick it in a onesie. That's where 
now we're not dealing with people that have tested a product. We're now making our own stuff and it's a slippery slope. So that's why currently there's just not enough information. And so they've said as a blanket statement, avoid those products. We need to, we need more information before we can say that they're actually safe. The other few things that were out there were related to inclined sleepers. So there were a number of products in the U.S. that were marketed as sleeping devices, but the baby was inclined. So instead of being flat on their back, they were propped up a bit. Unfortunately, there were a number of deaths related to that. So those have now been removed. And the really huge win in safety this year was bumpers being and federally. Padded crib bumpers are no longer available. And that, again, is a huge suffocation risk. I'm sure you've heard this all the time, but parents are often concerned of, oh, they're going to break their arm or break their leg. Their arms are coming out of the crib. I took so many pictures of my daughters with their limbs hanging out of their crib slats, just out of solidarity, because it is normal for them to do that. The good news is that it's hard in the moment to hear this. I know it's hard in the moment to hear this, but it is a phase. They will stop doing it. They're learning the boundaries of their crib, much like at some point we hopefully stop falling out of our beds too. My brother-in-law does it, which is why I say hopefully. But it's one of those things where the actual chance of them getting an injury is so minute versus the injury related to adding something that could be a suffocation risk is likely. So that's the main changes that happened. And I know that there's, again, so much survivorship bias around, we had all these things for you, or my friend did that, nothing bad happened. We can't minimize the voices of the families that unfortunately didn't have that same positive experience. Yeah, exactly. That's the important thing. I know, just on a side note, we just posted on Labor Nurse Mama yesterday for moms recalling their mamaroo and their rockaroo. So that, I think that's been my most viewed story I've ever posted in the history of Labor Nurse Mama. And I posted a picture of my Grayson and his mamaroo. Like, literally, it saved my life. So I thought maybe we could talk about that if you have any information on that. Yeah. And with my younger daughter, Riley, we also did that. We had one of those mama roos and boy, did that ever save us because it was oh my goodness. one of the things that would really calm her down. But the worry was that children were older children that could crawl, were able to crawl up into it and trap themselves in the straps. So they've added a repair kit so that you can get to the manufacturer, submit, a request to have this sent to you. It's supposed to basically hold the straps so that children can't have that entrapment risk when they're not in it. But obviously, it's a very heavy unit. Most of us keep it on the floor as we should. And it's typically out somewhere like a living room where a crawling child would play. So it's to reduce that risk of having loose straps that they could potentially climb into. We really just want to avoid them becoming entrapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to address that too, because one of the most common comments that I got on that post today was, my baby is only a few weeks old. I don't have a crawler. Should I actually send away for this? Yes. Send away for this because you will be very surprised that all of a sudden you do have a crawler. And like we said before, you cannot trust these little guys. You cannot make assumptions and you just don't want to take a chance. So go ahead and request the parts and do it now. Don't wait because 
you may sit it aside and forget about it and then suddenly you really need it. So I think it's really important when these companies, this is a huge deal for a company to issue, they're recalling 2 million products. So I think this is important and there's a reason they're doing it. So go ahead and take that time. Holly, it has been so nice to have you today. I feel like this is such an important mission that you're on. And I love that you and your sister are doing this. And I love how this has brought you guys together in a way that you didn't really see coming. But the last thing I want to ask that I ask all my guests, and I've already asked you this when you signed up to be on the podcast was, what do you feel is your superpower? And if you guys are always like, why does she always ask this? I ask this because I feel that we as moms and we as women tend to put ourselves down and forget to build ourselves up and forget to see how powerful we are. We are mothers. We, whether you adopted, whether you birthed, however it is, I have a daughter who's adopted and I always say that was my hardest birth of all of them, but she is my daughter. So we as moms tend to forget about ourselves. And so I always like to ask my guests, what is your superpower? So for me, I really do think that my superpower is being able to take safety information and put it together in a way that parents can digest it. Because if you hear it from a source that's not directly out of another parent's mouth, sometimes the empathy is missing. And as someone that's been through it, I really do pride myself on being able to look at a situation with the empathy of a tired, exhausted new parent, right? Like it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And that's probably my biggest superpower is being able to put all of that together. But for all of those parents out there that are still pending or maybe a new parent right now, what wherever you are, just know that you are doing a great job. It's really, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do, but it is so worth the reward. Okay, so what would you say your partner or your husband would say is your superpower? Oh, gosh. Can you say that? For me, I carry so much mental weight for this family. I have everything in my head and keeping keeping things organized without dropping every ball that's coming at us is probably what he would say. So juggling all the things mentally. I love that. It's wild how much is in my brain. And I do my best to put it in calendars for him too. But I do aerobics in my brain every single day for this family. And I think it's it doesn't go unappreciated. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I am just so appreciative of what you're doing. I think this is such an important mission. So thank you again for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey mama, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the birth experience with labor nurse mama. I loved talking with Holly about newborn safety and preparing for your baby while you're pregnant. Safety is so critical. If you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, make sure you write a review, hit subscribe, and join us again next Friday, 7.30 a.m. Central Standard Time every week. Bye for now.